are now listening to the Knee Deep Podcast presented by Dark Horse Tackle. Jason, happy Friday. How are you? My guy, dude, I'm great. I'm I'm great, but I'm not as great as the champion that we have on our podcast Ooh, today. Yes, we the have absolute hammer. The most recent Hobie Bass Open Series winner from Lake Eufaula, Alabama. He's not from Lake Eufaula. That's where the tournament was. And you're going to find out where he's from and what he's all about. We have Bailey Eidbritt on the show today. Bailey, how are you? I'm good, boys. I uh, appreciate the invite getting me on here. It's uh, it's good to be on here and, and talk some fishing. Yeah, absolutely. We were uh, we were actually on the Serious Angler podcast a couple of months, actually several months ago. I don't think it was with you. I think it was one, with one of your uh, your buddies over there, but we had a great time talking with him too. I've got bad news. This is not a fishing podcast. This is not a fishing podcast. For those so, just tuning in, uh, this is yep. not a fishing podcast. Yep. When you let all your friends know you were on this podcast, they're going to listen to it. Be like, man, it's not even about fishing. Uh-oh. But we, <laughs> you know, let's get it. Let's get some of the fishing stuff out of the way. Um, where are you from? Where are you located right now? I am in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. Okay. So you are near the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any Finger Lakes up by that region? Yeah, so I actually, I grew up, like most of my entire life, I grew up in the heart of the Finger Lakes. Okay. uh, Within, you know, at most an hour from every single one, you know, as close as 10 minutes. So that's where I kind of carved my teeth. And then uh, recently this past summer, moved out here with my fiance because she's got a year left, her doctorate. Nice. Kind of worked out that I got 10 minutes to the boat ramp on Lake Erie and 10 minutes to the Niagara River. So we're in smallmouth country over here. That's that's not bad. So... Do you primarily do kayak fishing? So, like, if you were to go fish the Niagara River right now, would you throw your coat? Your hope is it? A, are you riding a Hobie? Yeah, that's yeah. Your, so I've, uh, I've been working. Okay. Yeah, I've been working with Morgan Marine for the past couple of years, and they're one of the biggest Hobie dealers in the Northeast. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I've taken it out in the Niagara River before. Uh, there's certain parts I will not take it out because the current's ripping too dang fast. Yeah. Uh, but there's certain parts I will, and uh, I'll take it out on the big water on Lake Erie if the the wind's not ripping too bad out of the west. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I mean, primarily that's where I fish out of, unless I, I'm going out on a boat with one of my buddies. But okay. you know, solo, it's it's all kayak right now. So all Bailey, right. explain to the people who have never been involved in a kayak tournament what the major difference between like a kayak tournament and a regular bass fishing tournament is. Yeah. So like the biggest outstanding differences between the two is that uh, boater tournaments for the you know 99 of them will launch out of the same spot one public location and it's your five fish you're putting in the live well it's your five heaviest fish that you're bringing back to the scales whereas with these kayak tournaments you can launch anywhere on that body of water as long as the launch is public uh, and it's your five longest fish so you have a measuring board an identifier that way it really they've really done a really good job at like breaking it down so cheating is like the opportunity to cheat is extremely minimal okay uh, which really like you know levels the playing field uh, but basically, you're putting that fish on the board, and they have you know standard guidelines how to put it on the board so everyone's is the same. Um, and you're basically it's your longest five fish, so you get them on the board, take a picture, and you put them back. Uh, nice, yeah, it's a pretty so cool. So, what have they done? What have they done as, as like the uh, like in the tournament scene to minimize cheating? Uh, you had mentioned that. Like, what what do they do? Because I imagine. You know, as a kayak angler, you're out there in the middle of the water. You got, I don't know, 30, 40 kayakers out there. It's probably really hard to, like, keep an eye on all of them at the same time to see what's happening. I'm sure it's not like 
MLF, uh, where they have like drones all over the place watching these guys fish. So how do they minimize that? Yeah, honestly, they mean to be completely frank, there is an honor code there, but you know, they've done everything they can to make that window to cheat extremely small because the photos you have to submit one, you have to have location services on. So where you're taking that picture will mark where you caught that fish or at least where you took the picture of it. Um, and then, you know, submitting it, um, basically it has to be, you know, within that timetable, you know, the, the image that submits has a location and a timestamp. So make sure that you didn't take that picture before, you know, first cast time. Um, that way you're not like fishing outside the window, you know, of your tournament. Uh, but then also with the identifiers, it has a specific code. So, you know, for this whole BOS tournament, we had a registration meeting Friday, got everyone that was competing uh, to this, you know, central location to register and get there. They actually gave out like a specific identifier, like a little card that was for day one and day two. Uh, so what they do is day one, they give you a code that you can only that, that identifier has to be in the picture to prove that you're fishing day one on Lake Eufaula, that specific tournament. And then what they do is at seven or seven thirty p.m. Saturday night after day one, once that time has gotten dark, because there's some people that might want to take, you know, back in the day, they would take pictures you know, at night of those fish or the day prior to try to use them for the next day. Ooh. They do is give you a blank card and then. After day one, they have like a, like a live Facebook feed and they give you a new code for day two. Uh, that way it's fresh. It's different. You're not trying to use the same fish for multi-day events. That way it's, you can, you know, they're doing the best to limit the possibility for cheating. Yeah. They, the, I mean, in that honor code's been in place. I mean, forever, like yeah. a lot of times, like I've, I've been in a five fish limit bass tournament where the guy was caught cheating. And uh -huh. let me tell you, that is one of the most awkward situations you can oh, cut the thickness of the tension with a knife dude it's yeah. crazy um i i was fishing a tournament on my home lake um and there was a guy who for the past like few weeks now this is like a pot tournament dude this is like a wednesday nighter for 150 bucks pot tournament um for the past like four weeks in a row, he had won with like very similar bags. Like let's just say as all 15 pound bags. So the next, like the next time he went out, I guess people followed him and they saw that he was, he had multiple spots up in the Creek that feeds into our reservoir in multiple spots where he had fish chained up. Oh man. And yeah. And he was, he was like specifically catching like 14 to 15 pound bags, which in Ohio, it's pretty damn good bag. He was, you know, using very similar weights and he came back and these guys were like, yeah, dude, like three boats went up there and watched you do your thing. Like, don't deny it. Just leave. Never come back. Damn. And yeah, he, he tried to, you know, he tried to save face. And I mean, if I was in that situation, I'd have just been like, I'm going to try to leave with all my teeth. Because there were some yeah. people that were very upset. Yeah, and that was story time with Josh. Yes. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy some of the stories you've heard about people cheating. I mean, yeah. the craziest one I've ever heard, and this was like, this has got to take more effort than actually fishing itself. But this dude literally would cut off, like, when fish would have, like, a tail, like a longer tail or a bigger fish, he cut the tail off of it. Okay. Like, 
and and then what smaller fish would put his hand over the tail so that there's bigger fins so he'd gain himself an extra inch really yeah like it was whole like he got like charges and everything like the whole yeah. state dnr and everything went after him rightfully so and i'm pretty sure he's faced jail time for it that's that's insane like yeah. and i've i've always said this to jason like anytime we've done like any kind of competition we've just tried to keep the um lack of morals and character at a minimum like uh the i shouldn't say jason and i should say the mysterious owners of dark horse tackle um <laughs> but we've done like swim bait painting competitions and right now we have a tournament called dink city which i think personally i've eliminated every bad moral decision because it does have location services and timestamps. i noticed that mm -hmm. um but you know people will find a way there's, you know, there's always somebody trying to wiggle around the rules. And it's so strange when you've got 40 people following the rules, but number 41 just doesn't. And it makes everything bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard stories of people like going to their buddy's private pond at their house, throwing their ba big bass in a live well, taking it to a local lake and going one by one out of the live well to measure their fish. Oh, boy. yeah. So, Bailey, do you hate John boats? No, I hate such a bass guy. boat hater. What's that? <laughs> Are you a bass boat hater? Because you're, oh, you're on hell the no. Hell no. No, I, I love it all. I personally have been like looking around low key at a John boat because I want to do the whole like, you know, you know, completely, you know, Tim take Ray. everything out of it. Yeah. I want to like build one out. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I mean, personally, I'm a big smallmouth electronics guy. I like I want to, you know, Phoenix 21 PHX. I want to go out in the big water. That's where my passion really lies. So I love getting out my buddy's boats because I don't have to pay for the best boat yet. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's where I'd like to be. But also the John boat stuff, the little backwaters getting into stuff that big boats can't get into, which is, you know, same stuff as kind of like the kayak, but John boats just a little bit more fun because they run a trolling motor and all that jazz. But um, I, I love it all. Kayak, John boat, big boat, you know, the whole deal. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have a preference as long as I'm fishing. Yeah, I get it. Let's talk about your rig. What, okay. um, what are you running? Like, what do you got? What goes into getting your kayak ready when you're fishing these big tournaments? Yeah. So, I mean, a biggest, the biggest factor is where I'm fishing. So, uh, it really depends on the body of water. If I'm chasing green fish or brown fish, if I'm going to be offshore or shallow. Uh, but I mean, on the days where I'm going fully rigged out, like, especially out on big water, like Ontario or Erie, and I want to be using my electronics. Um, I have my Hobie tw pro angler 12, 360. And I have a Helix 9, a Helix 10, and Mega Live. Okay. It, some days depend on if I'm using Mega Live or Mega 360. Um, and then I have uh, my batteries and such, you know, different compartments with baits and then rods and then my tackle storage behind me. Um, so it's, 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 it doesn't take a lot, like a lot to, uh, you know, pack stuff up and, and launch, but it is, you know, the electronics really take up the, the bulk of everything and people definitely give you a double look when they're, you know, you're in a kayak with yeah. two, two graphs and forward facing sonar, they kind of give you like a dude, why don't you just get a boat? And I can't tell you how many times they get that comment, but I mean, so are you a big tech point. guy? Yeah, I am huge in electronics. I, I am extremely passionate of it, passionate about electronics. That's just where my confidence lies. Yeah. Are you, um, so you're a, a firm believer of the, you know, everybody else has got it. I'm going to get it. I got to learn it because. The my my unfortunate truth is that this is the future of fishing, yep. and it's you know 
it's nice that we have this technology, but it really does suck. And it does hinder a lot of things when you're out there fishing just to fish a tournament, you know, Oh, I've got a tournament on a Lake. I haven't fished in a while. And, you know, and then you see guys with, you know, hundred thousand dollar vexuses and it's like, dude, we're fishing for 150 bucks. Yeah. You've got a hundred grand and you're fishing the same tournament I am. And it's, it's very uh, discouraging because I, I have a 16 foot John boat and I'll fish any tournament with it. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest with you, most of the guys that have that 16 foot John boat that you kind of like the guys that you overlook almost from exactly what you're saying from like a, a stigma standpoint, those are usually the guys that are winning, but the guys that got the most expensive boats, uh, you know, on, you know, typically are the guys that put all their money into their gear thinking it'll make them better, but really yeah. they just will suck fishing yeah. uh, from a, from a, I should say like a local or regional standpoint. I shouldn't say that for everybody. Cause that doesn't, you know, uphold, but, you know, the thing, uh, you know, from a tournament standpoint that people just, you know, and the reality is they have to get over it is that these companies are buying into tournament fishing. They're putting yes. money into the sport. By no means are these leagues going to ever go and say you can't use this technology and tell a company we're not going to allow people to use your technology when they're giving you money. So it's more of a thing where you might as well just get it if you can afford it and learn it. And just because you're going to have to compete with everyone that's going to have it. But that being said, there is a massive learning curve, especially to this whole forward facing sonar argument where people think as soon as you get forward facing, you're automatically going to be catching more fish and bigger fish. That is not the case. It is a science and a learning curve to actually using that thing to use it efficiently. And more people are being burnt out and losing because of forward facing sonar than the guys actually winning off of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one thing I heard is that it's a double-edged sword in the sense Mm -hmm. that you think you're going to be fishing with a video game and instead you're, you, you don't know how to recognize the species you see. Like you can learn a lot from um, a walleye guy, you know, your big water walleye guys, like those guys, they used to look at, you know, when HDS first came out and it would just show you a different kind of arch, you know, Mm -hmm. they would be able to distinguish what that arch was and let you know, Oh, we're actually in a school white bass. We're not, we're not even near walleye. (laughs) You know, yeah. and yep. I agree with you and I, I'm just, you know, it is, it's hard to not remain a little bitter. Jason and I are very bitter about Well, it. I'm not really bitter, man. I just, I've always, I don't know. I've always got this question running, question running through my mind. And I'm glad that Bailey is like, you know, very well into technology so that maybe he can kind of talk me down from this like mindset. But like a part of me always believes that uh fishing like fishermen in general are not as skilled as they used to be like i know that that doesn't really make a lot of sense but when you think about like technology and and sonars and all of these giant screens that are on people's boats like are you just a better tech guy than you are a fisherman like where is that at because i know like kvd when he started fishing tournaments dude he's fishing he's using a little fish finder that you can barely even read what you know the temperature at the bottom of the water depth, looks man. Like. like they're not reading anything yeah. like it used to be you throw a spinnerbait a half ounce one ounce spinnerbait until you hit bottom and now you know how deep it is like so yeah. a part of me just always wonders like at what point as fishermen do we like actually lose the ability to learn and know and um, this is not a fishing podcast nope but (laughs) at what point is it that like we're not as great a fisherman as we used to be because of the technology and we're just more tech guys than we are anything oh dude i've had this conversation all the time and i'll totally agree with you that 
fishermen as a whole, uh, especially guys that use this technology, their instincts as a fisherman is going down with technology. Because you will find that events where a technology is not going to play, their name is not relevant. Now, that isn't, you know, for everyone, right? It is a, a decent amount that that, you know, rule can apply for. Uh, but really, uh, what sucks about it is, I shouldn't say sucks, but because if you can, if you are good with your fishing instincts and can use to, and learn where the electronics can play into that process, those are the guys that are really good. Like your Jacob Wheeler, your Ott Defoe, your Brian Thrift. You know, those kind of guys have that fisherman's instinct and that intuition and then use electronics to find a place in the process to enhance all of that. So those are the guys that know how to place it. But then there's guys that focus solely on just their electronics and not on, you know, they're going down a bank and they don't see any fish on their side imaging, but, and then they can, they completely ditch that, go offshore, whatever, look at their forward facing sonar. Don't see any fish. They start getting spun out, but they completely neglected the one stretch of bank. That's got, you know, 30 birds on it that are on the bank that obviously there's a shad spawn going on. So yeah. it's, it's it's all about I mean keeping instincts and I, I will agree and I think that technology is taking away from some of the you know those fishermen's natural instincts but I don't think that the technology is to blame it's all on the angler and how they look at it if you rely on electronics that's on you You're right because I, mean, I mean that's one thing you know I, I love electronics I rely heavy on them I love forward-facing sonar but once I got it it was one of those things where I am in the back of my mind I'm gonna take before I even turn on my graphs, I make I'm going through my process of looking at I'm looking at the bank, I'm looking at the watercolor, you know, I'm kicking up rocks and stuff at the at the boat ramp. I'm looking on the banks, you know, I'm making sure I'm taking a effort is even when I'm just graphing, you know, my, my side imaging, down imaging, 2D, and my mapping, all that jazz. I'm looking at the bank still because you might be going on a bank that's like soft bottom, soft bottom, and you could see that there's some gravel or pebble rock on the bank. And that might give you a reason to go grab something different. But so it's, it's one of those things where you just need to learn that fine line of your fisherman's instincts and using your electronics to add to that process versus having your electronics be your process. If that makes sense. That no, does make sense. I also, I have this question, Bailey, what, what do you think over time will happen to fish that, are you know so fishermen I, I don't know i guess you could go back to like the 90s the 80s the, the 90s like you know the the normal bass fishing tournament angler might catch 10 fish in a day 15 fish in a day whatever but now because of the technology you're catching 30 40 50 fish in a day obviously you're not keeping all of them but you're catching all of them and you've got 100 boats out here and now they're all catching 30 40 50 fish in a day what do you think is going to happen to the fishing pressure and the fishing hat like behavior once they're so heavily pressured because they're routinely being caught because of the use of technology? What do you think will happen with that? Dude, that's a that's a huge conversation right now in the crappie industry because there's like different, you know, efforts going in place to, you know, save that species because of forward facing uh, sonar being so effective and being able to get them. And most crappie fishermen are keeping those crappie. You know, there's not many that are catching and releasing. Whereas, at least, you know, talking about bass, you know, a lot of guys are catching and releasing them, but they're still getting pressured. Uh, and I've heard, you know, different stories about certain bodies of water, like, you know, take Lake Lanier in Georgia, for an example, these big spotted bass that roam over a hundred foot of water, but they're suspended 20 foot down. So the best way to find them is forward facing sonar. You can pan your cone over to them 
and they can, they're so used to that forward facing sonar now that they know what that feels like and they're gone. So there's guys that the only way you can catch them on forward facing is you have to pan over. As soon as you see them, you mark, you make that cast and you turn your forward facing the other way. And you're relying basically back on your fisherman's instinct to work that bait because those fish are so used to feeling that sonar because fish can feel that, like that pulsing from the sonar. You can actually feel like if you, you know, you go under your trolling motor, you swim under it, you can actually feel that sonar. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think what the South is seeing right now, the North, our fish are still stupid. Thank God. But uh, the South, they're uh, the bank fishing is becoming so much more becoming much better because so many guys are these electronics gurus that are offshore finding all these fish. The offshore fish are becoming way more pressured than the bank fish. So you're seeing more tournaments. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you started seeing it more and more, this trend and fish, be, uh, these tournaments being one shallow because those fish offshore are so dang pressured because of electronics. So I think it'll just, honestly, I think as more things get popular and then they more get more pressured that certain other aspects like shallow and such will, will rise. And it's just going to be a teetering system. That's I don't think it's ever going to affect it because there is a capacity for fishing. I love this whole movement of, you know, grow the sport of fishing, but I think there still needs to be a conversation of when do we stop saying that? Because Unlike basketball, football, soccer, there is a capa- a maximum capacity for fishing. It's oh, not absolutely. like you can go build a football field. Football field. It's completely different. You can't just make more fish. Um, it's sure. funny that you say that because we interviewed another tournament angler who utilizes those um, those technologies, and he said the exact same thing that you just answered to Jason. That there's going to be an effect where these fish being caught offshore are going to be caught offshore so many times based off that forward facing sonar that eventually they're going to recognize the pattern. Hey, every time I go here, I end up in the back of a boat. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to go somewhere else, but there is a capacity and I want to let's touch on that. This is the not a fishing side of the podcast Mm -hmm. with the growth of the sport. I mean, my God, within the five years, I within five years, I guarantee you it's quadrupled, Um, you know, based off of, YouTubers based off of influencers, based off of pro fishing being put on TV, college more. fishing teams, the accessibility of being able to watch fishing mm-hmm. has grown COVID. and in COVID was huge. So, you know, there is fishing being taught. There is fishing being marketed. There is not integrity. There is not mm-hmm. conservation. There is not manners being taught. There is no ritualistic (laughs) teach them, Josh. Morality being taught in this industry, where you've got these assholes on YouTube purposefully getting kicked out. You've got people making jackass fishing, and that's fine. That's entertaining. That's fun. But what comes with that is that then becomes more popular than the actual ritual of fishing, the actual hobby. You know. Instead of, hey, let's go see how many fish we can catch, it's let's go fishing, but instead we're going to try getting into fights with people and we're going to be little dickheads. Um, <laughs> fishing you know, for views <laughs> and not fishing for fish. Correct. Correct. And, you know, I think that as much as the sport is growing, it's very important that we teach these people some form of couth, some, you know, teach them, like you said, teach them the honor system. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, you know, have, I, we, Jason and I are on social media a lot. 
Mm -hmm. And our social media is constantly flooded with just terrible behavior. Oh, yeah. You know, and what do you think is going to happen to the sport of fishing if the sport of fishing just kind of becomes jackass? You know, when when are people going to want to stop watching tournaments and start watching guys throw their full combos in the water? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can attest at least uh, for the South that uh, somebody does make a move like that. The uh, majority of them, good old boys, will make sure real quick that they will learn that that is not okay. <laughs> uh, they got the the guts to to do it and make sure that person learns their their lesson real quick, or they'll yeah. make it known what they did is messed up. Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, it'd be great to have, you know, the YouTubers, you know, the pros and such, you know, be a leader in teaching that with all the newcomers. I think that's definitely a conversation people are having is with all these new faces, they need to know that the ethics and such on the water. Um, and you know, there's, there's endless stories, clips, and, you know, from myself included, you know, the people just like, you know, cut me off or, you know, ran stuff with, and that, you know, that can be. Yes, that's annoying, but it's not the end of the world. It's stuff like you're talking about where like people can actually like either get in real trouble, put people yeah. in danger. People can literally be killed because especially you get these new boaters that don't bother to care for, you know, the lake rules. And that's why, you know, qualified captain is, you know, leading the way and calling love it. folks out. I love but, qualified uh, captain. <laughs> yeah. um, but un unfortunately, I think the reality of it is that these people are going to be, you know, a lot of it, I think, is just them being naive to it and not putting in the correct research before getting on the water. Uh, unfortunately, there's not like a driver's course or anything like that for boating, but also just fishing in general. You know, yeah. it's not like you're you know, getting your license to drive, which I think it should be if you own a boat. Uh, uh, yeah, there's but, an online course you can take, but there's no test. No. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, I think the reality, though, is that these people have to learn by experience. They, they have to mess up in order to learn something or they have to get yelled at or made an example of to learn it. And uh, that's the unfortunate truth. I think right now, until somebody comes up with a better solution. Yeah. Now you mentioned the qualified captain, um, <laughs> which is essentially a glorified meme page. Yeah. Um, do you, are you, uh, are you in that circle of uh, fishing meme pages and are you uh, familiar with the culture of, what and who and why a lot of these people make fun of these um anglers i guess i'll call them that yeah i mean there's a few of the pages i think we all know who they are and uh <laughs> i get dms from them all the time and like a couple of them are just pretty cool dudes they just fish and they want to call stuff out without you know def uh, you know defaming their their own personal brands but uh i mean some of it i some of it I think is good to call out like, but I mean, I'm not against, or I'm not for going after an individual. That's just not me. It's not how I was raised. Some of them are cringy. Some of them are cringy. Some of them are uncalled for. Some of them are just like, why'd you post that type of deal? But uh, you know, and that's not really the business that I will ever partake in, you know, with what we do at serious angler and my personal brand. Yeah. I stay clear of any drama as, as much as possible. I'm all for just, you know, positive you know positive mindset positive results and i'm gonna affiliate myself with good people and if you're not good people then i'm gonna let you do you as long as you're not affecting me and it's yeah. just kind of i'm gonna stay out of it um but yeah there's a lot of that going around that's for that's for dang sure that's really hard to not notice it in this industry uh there's a lot more drama when people really look around than we realize oh my goodness um 
I I I've just noticed a lot of like Chris Zaldane, like a lot of that, and some of them are funny. And then you that's see your some, hero, right, Jack? That is that is actually my hero. He um he has a big fat head on his wall of him. He switched <laughs> with the shades too. Yep, he switched Perfect. to my favorite uh, my favorite fishing company of all time. So, you know, I'd, obviously, I bought the fat head. But yeah, that's um, you mentioned qualified captain. I just thought uh, I just thought maybe maybe you knew about the secret hidden culture in the uh, bass fishing industry of. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, you know. I I know about it, and uh, I don't try to stay up with it, but I get shown it, and yeah. it's just kind of one of those things where it's just a you know you're tuning in just to be in the know. But I mean, I'm a personal advocate of never judging anyone based on like rumor or hearsay. True. I judge based on my personal opinion. I'll keep it in the back burner and like remember that that you know people have had these encounters. But I don't ever judge somebody based on you know rumor. It's just you know if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. Like I, I love Chris. I, I get to deal with him through who I work for. He's yeah. been really good to me, and you know, the, I, I I hate to see him getting some of the slack for making the move, but. I mean, if you actually listen to the guy's shoes and why he made the switch, it makes perfect sense. You got to do what's best for you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. It's, you know, it's, I guess it's easy to, maybe, maybe you're making me a little bit more open-minded. Um, But I, I like the low road first and I like making Ooh, fun. Let's not make Josh open-minded. I know. I know. We don't want that. But, you know, it's very easy when you've never been presented the opportunity to critique the uh, opportunity he decided to endeavor in um which brings me to you know your job what you do you know you do multiple things with media um what all do you do in the media realm yeah so beyond just my personal brand of just tournament fishing and then serious angler uh, my full-time job the stuff that really pays the bills uh, i am a pr manager for a company called gunpowder uh, so i get to work with some of the biggest brands in fishing you know pure fishing is the biggest one and then Johnson Outdoors is Humberbird, Minkota, and then uh, X2 Power Batteries, which actually just released a line of lithiums, which yeah. as a kayak angler, I'm psyched about. That, yeah, uh, that's huge. Yeah, and with that, I get to deal with all the pros, all the big media in the industry, get to talk to them being on a first-name basis, talk to these people. Something I've actually been really fortunate to do because it's you know really built my network and gotten to make some really good friends in it. But uh, it, it definitely is a a way to be on the uh, behind the scenes of learning some of the stuff that's not public facing, which some of it's disappointing to hear, but some of it's also, you get a, you know, you get an opportunity to really, you know, tap into the pros like Chris and, and learn about, you know, their side of the story versus just what people are accusing of. Yeah. It's yeah. So it, it's a cool deal. It really how did helps you get into that Bailey? How do you, how's that yeah. work? Honestly, um, it was actually like my, my second legit job, out of college uh, a couple of years ago, I graduated and um, did a six month internship at the university of Notre Dame working for their uh, athletic department and decided, cause I had a bachelor's and master's in sport management. Cause I thought I was going to work in college athletics. And uh, after the internship quickly realized I was not going to work in college athletics. I like to fish and have a, have a life outside of work. And with 90 hour work weeks, you can't do that. Um, so I got into fishing and started working for a company called Douglas rods out of here in New York and COVID happened three months into it and decided because I couldn't get a job with the whole COVID madness going on. I was going to start my own social media business as freelancing did that for probably six months and, uh, saw that there was this job listening, uh, listing for being a, a PR working a PR for a company called gunpowder and just seeing 
what some of the clients they have and how high of a reputation. I was like, that's something I want to get into and applied for it and got the job. And I've been, I was actually, uh, yesterday was my one year anniversary with them. Nice. So uh, it's been going strong. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun to get to travel to the classic, you know, do these media events, Red Crest, the whole shebang. And it's, uh, it's really fortunate for it, honestly, because all I wanted to do was work in fishing after, you know, realizing when cause it was sports and then fishing and then realizing sports was a no go for me. I wanted to go full bore into fishing and I've, I've made it happen and it's, I have zero complaints. So you had mentioned going to college. <laughs> Hopefully you were able to get some like scholarships because uh, I hear that's not cheap, especially not at the University of Notre Dame. No, like, uh, so I didn't go to Notre Dame. Okay. Um, okay. I did an internship there. For, uh, Got it. That was part of my graduate internship to complete my master's degree. I had to do an internship or write a basically this term, like 50 page, whatever they call it. And I was like, I will not do that. I'm going to rather do an internship. Um, uh, so, yeah, I went to a, a small state school in New York called SUNY Cortland. Uh, it was a fun little deal. But, uh, yeah, college was not cheap. And like we talked about offline here, I'm a simple, simple brain. So there was zero scholarships to be accounted for for there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here we are. So I, I have zero complaints. Yeah, dude, I was like, man, if this guy went to Notre Dame and had to pay full tuition for that, oh, <laughs> that's that's that'll uh, that'll uh, make you broke for a very long time in your adult life. Yeah. Are you so. a Notre Dame fan? I mean, I'm not against Notre Dame, but I'm not. I'm actually an Oregon Ducks fan. But are honest. you one of those guys that has to wear something Notre Dame related at every sporting event, regardless yeah. of the event? No, it could be a NASCAR race. It could be yep. a boxing fight. It could be a, you know, a volleyball game. It doesn't matter, dude. These people are showing up wearing Notre Dame gear. Football jerseys, wearing Brady Quinn jerseys that are 15 years old. <laughs> I, where where but, did you get that? Yeah. Well, how'd you get that? I, I went to the Big Ten Championship in 2015 um, or whichever one, I think 2016, when the, when the Buckeyes won the national championship, there was an entire like section of, of Notre Dame fans. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was 2014. Either way, a group, that's for sure. It was so strange. It was so strange. I, you know, and they're like sitting near us and they're like, Ohio State's going to lose. And I'm like, why are you saying this? Why are, why are you, you here? here? How'd you get here? Did you come here just to tell people Wisconsin was going to lose and Ohio state was going to lose based off what they're wearing. They're like, the, they're kind of like the Dallas Cowboys fan. Base. Yeah. They're buying their Super Bowl tickets before the season starts. You know, yeah. Just, yeah. So, so they got to go. Why are you a Oregon ducks fan? Is it because <laughs> of their cool uniforms? I mean, that's kind of how I noticed them, but uh, I was growing up being in New York. We have terrible college teams like Syracuse, but, they, their football teams got awful. And I honestly, grow, I grew up in Rochester, New York, and Rochester and Syracuse. Uh, growing up playing hockey, I hated Syracuse because that was like our team rivals, like across yeah. the state. Um, so I hated Syracuse College for that reason. But uh, my dad and I were Penn State football fans until we weren't Penn State fo football fans. I'm sure you guys could guess why. Oh, right? I, I was, I yeah. Why. yeah. And then uh, decided from there, we're just, you know, we're going to be college football fans. And, you know, if we attribute, you know, because I love college football. And we you know if we find a team to attribute to, we do. If we don't, we don't. But we ended up finding this uh, how Oregon Ducks had the, this tie to these Hawaiian origin quarterbacks that had really cool personas to them, like had these really cool like moral systems to how they, you know, they carry themselves. But they they were always just fun to watch because Oregon was so explosive. Yeah, and we're like, no, we'll, we'll start watching them for a while. And we liked to, you know, how explosive the Pac-12 was. And then lo and behold, we're you know 
watching Oregon every single weekend, paying attention to the game, standings, rooting for him. And, you know, for the past like eight years or so or ever since Penn State happened, uh, basically been Oregon fans. So Yeah, I, I always find myself being an Oregon fan for some reason. It's just those uniforms, man. I'm like, damn, I want that one in the man cave and that one in the man cave. Like, yeah. Every well, time they wear a new uniform, I'm like, yep, got to get that one. Yeah, it helps that the founder of Nike came from the University of Oregon, and that's why they have a – because they literally have a – every uniform they wear every week is a brand-new, never-used combination of, of colors and jersey, all that jazz that they've ever used. It's a new one every – it's it's ridiculous. And they'll it never is. wear it again. <laughs> yeah, they will never wear it again. But they do some cool stuff behind the scenes of, like, using that stuff to, one, you know, give to seniors and, like – alumni but they use a lot of like raffles and stuff to like raise money for different stuff so it's pretty cool i like that yeah oh, hopefully man. they're not just throwing them in the trash no, after no, the game. no. <laughs> i don't think that's happening no yeah, let's hope no. not <laughs> this was a bad colorway let's never use this one again um <laughs> yeah. so, you so is that your watching. favorite sport bailey is uh college football no no i'm no. a uh i'm a huge hockey guy i love oh. love hockey uh which it's it's becoming like the time of year where uh, I will be glued to the TV every night because it's playoff time. Yep. Uh, but I grew up, uh, I mean, I could skate basically before I could walk. Um, my whole family's big hockey nuts. And uh, that was one where I tried to go to college for that one. Unfortunately, injuries said no, but uh, just always been a huge college hockey and NHL fan. So are you a Rochester Americans guy? Oh, yeah. I actually played for their youth program. Nice. Up. Who's Who's their farm team now? It used to be Detroit, right? So it's uh they're back to the Sabres now. Okay. Okay. Cuz they, they yeah. switched around a couple of different. They were like at the Florida Panthers for a little bit and now it's the Sabres. They may like the AHL is so weird in that because yeah. like the Columbus farm team there was a team up north in Cleveland that was an AHL team. Mm-hmm. That was not I think it was attached to the Colorado Avalanche. And then the Blue Jackets farm team was in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. And it's like, there's a team an hour and a half north, just mm-hmm. right there. It's so weird. But so did you get to go to Rochester Americans games and stuff like that growing up? Oh, all the time. I mean, we oh, lived 20 awesome. minutes away from the arena. And where I practiced and played out of in Rochester was, you know, five minutes down the road. So we'd go all the time. We get to like see them because they would practice at our rink. And it was pretty cool. Got to see some of the biggest names like from the Sabres start yeah. the Americans be up in the Sabres, like Pominville and Gostead, all those guys. Ryan really? Miller. Yeah, it was pretty Wait, cool. So that's way back then. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is youth. That is your youth. Yeah. Um, that was like being in the locker room with, you know, Jason Pominville was pretty dang cool. Yeah, that guy, I mean, that dude, I don't know what it is with Buffalo. It seems like Buffalo and Columbus are on the same trajectory of just completely disrespecting the people that want to be in, with their program and imploding from the inside, <laughs> um, especially within the past couple of years for Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jason Pommel. I mean, that guy was a freaking legend over there. And then they were just like, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, and with that being said, you know, they get uh they get the Sabres guys around, and uh it was just it was a cool place to grow up, especially being you know, growing up in hockey. Uh, it's a big but, sports uh, town. It is, it's a huge sports town, and I'm not a fan of any of the Buffalo teams, which is ironic too. Uh I was like, I think I was 12 years old, I was playing up a year. Uh, it was 96 triple A's and I got pulled up for a game playing the Pittsburgh junior penguins. And, uh, I was stepping up. I think no, actually I was thinking it was maybe 14 either way. I had stepped up and I laid this kid out during the game and 
I didn't realize it. I know there's like a buzz around the game, and I never realized why. I was just stepping up with the bigger kids and just needed like that was all I was focused on. Yeah. And then we go to shake hands. And I realized that why people were having a buzz, and it's because the coach was Mario Lemieux, and the kid that I laid out was his kid. Nice. So yeah, Mario Lemieux like stayed around to like like talk to us, and I was infatuated. So I, from there, and I was actually keeping up with this this guy. I could I never could really remember his name, but I always watched these junior games of this kid just completely making a fool of everyone. Gets drafted in 2005 the Pittsburgh Penguins, and ever since I've been a Sidney Crosby and Mario Lemieux big. Peng- a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> I, I respect it. I respect anybody that can differentiate from a, a historical hometown for hockey. Um, or Pittsburgh any sport sucks. Really. Yeah, we're not we're not big Pittsburgh. We are big Pittsburgh Marauders fans for the USFL. Um eh, not anymore. They kind of suck. No. They keep losing. They don't look very good. They lost good. one game. Yeah, they keep losing. They lost one game. One game is you keep losing, man. You're on a hot streak. Jeez. Do you have That's a? Do you have a? Have you been watching any USFL at all, Bailey? I don't even know what that is, to be honest. It's the United States Football League that is um, owned by like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, is that what he bought out? Is that what yeah? Yeah. I thought it was like the XFL or something. It was last year, and then oh. or two years ago. And then they went out of business because they couldn't pay their players, which was hilarious. That was like the biggest thing ever. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to start this league. Um, but we don't know how we're going to pay anybody. We're just, we got this plan and uh, let's go. Let's play some football. Everybody's like, okay, I'm ready for, ready for the money. And they're like, oh, didn't think about that part. You know, the, the biggest part of the entire business is yeah. the part that they forgot about. Being funded by Terramana Tequila. That's yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. The Rock does have his own tequila. So is he like doing like the Donald Trump like old fo- AFL American Football League versus the NFL type of deal? I I it's think not what they're going to the NFL, but they're I doing think, some really cool stuff. I think it's a funnel system. I think there's going to be people taken from the USFL and and put on an NFL team. Well, okay. I think it's more meant for um, like experiments, like. The USFL has some very, very cool camera shots. Like they've got like a helmet cam and they've got like a shoulder pad, uh, like a microphone in the shoulder pad. So whenever you hit somebody, you hear it. It sounds like a car crash. Dude, it's pretty cool. I think they're going to use these kind of things uh, in the NFL, but they, they're going to basically just test them out in the USFL and then implement them into the NFL. Uh, but they're doing all kinds of really cool stuff over there. But I watched I watched the game the other day, and there's like 25 fans in the stands, and I'm like this can't be good for business. <laughs> like how, no, the how fake crowd you, noise was bad too. How are you, yeah, there's no way that 25 people can be that loud. Yes. Now, I have a fishing question. Okay. Um. So you just got off you follow last week, and. Like you said earlier when we were meeting and greeting, your friends were giving you a hard time on the way home because you were already starting to dissect water on Chickamauga. Mm -hmm. And that's your next stop. So when you're prepping for a tournament um, and you can answer, you know, how much time it takes, whatever. When you're prepping for a tournament, how do you go about dissecting water? Like when, when Bailey is getting ready for a tournament, how do you find out where the first place you're going to start is going to be? I'd like to hear like the first, like the answer like that, but I would also like to hear the answer of if it's a brand new body of water. Yeah. How do you go never about been to? 
and you're going yeah. there next week, like, how are you going to be like, okay, that's where I'm going to start? Yeah. So like you follow is one I've never been to. Uh, thankfully Chickamauga I've been to four or five times. So I have a decent amount of experience on the place. Uh, but like you follow never been to. So um, a lot, a lot of it was a couple of different things. The biggest ones I used were uh, Google earth. And the biggest thing that, you know, people have, already exposed it so people know about it is the the fishing or like the the fishing good grief the history tab on google earth that lets you go back in different years of seeing satellite images of the place um that's a big one for me uh and then hummingbird fish smart their mobile app what's basically a mobile lake master mapping system that that is beyond clutch especially being you follow home of hummingbird there is not a detail left out in that thing um and then another one I've used that's new to me, new this year that I'm trying to look into, and it, 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 go, it depends on the lake, but Omnia Fishing Reports is one that's, you're kind of getting like the local insider info on time of year, what baits they're throwing, pictures, where they're throwing it type of deal. So that's one I've, I've used a little bit, but it's, it's a lot of that research in a, in a place that's a brand new body of water. It's hard not to do, but you, you almost kind of have to choose some sort of preconceived notion, but like having this info doing, you know, your research on YouTube, you know, trying to find, you know, the weeks leading up, making sure that you're like, I, I was checking like recent uploads of Lake Ufala bass fishing or trying to find videos from a couple of years prior of the timeline that I'm going to be there and what kind of was going down. Now, none of it played, none of it helped from a YouTube standpoint because of we had these freak storms roll in that made the place from decent visibility to basically mud. Um, now, none of that really helped, but that's kind of the, the process that I, I used to try to, on a, on a brand new body of water I've never been to, kind of get an idea of what I should be looking for. It kind of helps me start rigging up for that event in terms of what I might need, you know, on deck for when I first launch, but um, just kind of gives me some sort of idea what I'm going to be looking for. Now, chances are nine, nine times out of 10, you're going to be wrong and you're going to have to change, uh, but that's, you know, that's all part of tournament fishing is making adjustments. Uh, but like a Chickamauga, it's just stuff that uh, stuff that I know, but also trying to know, like, keep up with, you know, what words, what stage those fish are at right now. And there's a lot of research that you can do of, you know, what, you know, in recent years, what happens that time of year. But I think it's even more important to keep up with what stage the fish are currently in as you lead up to it, because that can give you a better idea of a starting spot to therefore and go find them. Um, so it, it's just a lot of just maintaining, like keeping tabs on even simple stuff, like looking up that lake location on Instagram or Facebook to see people's recent posts and where they're catching them. And that, and it kind of gives you an idea of what to be looking for when you show up. Gotcha. So you mentioned, you know, making moves. Um, when let's say you go, let's say you go with plan A. All right. Plan A, that's your, that's your best plan. And like mm -hmm. you said, it's going to change. At what point do you change it? Like, was there a time at, at you follow where you were on plan A and you were like, this ain't working, let's go to plan B? Like, what were you doing and what did you do? Yeah, honestly, it was in like the first 10 minutes when I actually set onto the water. I went down with the, uh, basically the idea that, you know, the spawn should basically be almost over. They should be almost full-blown post-spawn. And what I was going to do is basically find the biggest spawning areas in the lake and go graph for the most nearby brush piles because that would be those fish's first stopping place before they had really head out deep. Now, obviously fish are going to always live up shallow all times of the year, but you know, I thought that the, in my mind and how my confidence relies on you know, electronics and offshore, 
that was where those the winning fish are going to be. So I get there to a place that I wanted to launch in. I launch my kayak, turn my graphs on, and I see the water temps are high 50s to low 60s, getting up to the mid 60s throughout the afternoon. But I realized in the first 10 minutes, I saw those temperatures. I'm like, I'll give shallow a little try. I'll fish by the ramp. And I dump a seven plus pounder on a frog in, in dirt shallow. And I was like, okay, we're going to completely ditch this offshore plan. Especially after that night, we had crazy thunderstorms roll in that made the place mud. And that's when I knew I needed to live shallow. Um, so throughout the week, uh, I had basically four days of practice. Um, and I caught within, you know, after that one day and then two days of practice, practicing in the mud, trying a multitude of different creeks and, and shallow patterns. Uh, not, I think I caught two bass in two and a half days. Uh, so it was, it was brutal, but the adjustment I made that was clutch in my eyes was I stopped running different creeks and like launching the kayak, fishing, not catching anything and coming back. The clutch move I, I think I made in my eyes that I will use moving forward was I just got in the car and started driving different ramps, but also looking on Google Earth to find bridges or places of access to the very backs in those creeks to see what the water color was because with the mud, with that like muddy water, the, uh, the, the best place to find fish was going to be finding clear water. So if I could find clear water, that would probably give me a good starting spot. I basically drove the entire lake and couldn't find clear water because every Creek has something running into it. I was really trying to find a Creek that didn't have a runoff because that would be, it would be able that mud be able to settle a lot faster if there wasn't a Creek running into it, making it more muddy. Yeah. Um, what I did is I said, screw it. I'm going to go live in the river up north because if I'm going to have mud, I at least want one factor on my side and that'll be current. So I went up there and actually what I did is I looked on Google Earth. I went back a couple of years and I found that there was actually a satellite image when the lake was mud and found that there's this one creek arm because I was going to look for these northern pointing creek arms off of the river that didn't have runoff because those would probably be the best ones in terms of clarity because it's really hard for current to wrap up and then head back north if it's a southern driven current uh so what i did i found on google earth that there's one little shoot that heads north off the main river was clear compared to everything that was mud so i launched went two miles back up it and lo and behold it was like this beautiful florida tannic water and instantly started getting into good fish so nice. i left yeah and i was like all right i guess we're gonna start here because the best thing i found and that was the last day of practice so i mean you're, it sounds like you know Granted, in a bass tournament, like both these types of tournaments are grinds. They're they're definitely a grind, and the person who's grinding the hardest generally wins. Um, the person who makes the right adjustments at the right time usually wins. Um, sounds like you made the right adjustment, obviously, but you know, it it's very interesting how different this is compared to your bass boat tournament, where you have the ability instead of you know, maneuvering your boat throughout the entire lake. You have the ability to get back to the ramp, rig back, rig it back up on your vehicle, and then just drive across the lake. Mm -hmm. That is so, that's so interesting. Cause I've, you know, like I've seen kayak leagues, kayak tournaments, and never really understood how exactly they work because, you know, I'm used to the bass boat, the, the bass tournament structure where you meet at the ramp at five blast off at six 30 and everybody has to be back at the same time. Um, and so it seems that, you know, people were fishing this tournament at different times of the day, 
people had different availabilities when they could fish this tournament and they went at the best time for them to catch fish. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just interesting. I just, you know, I didn't think that that was like a rule, you know, where you could just rig it back up, go to where you went. And I think that's awesome that, you know, you were utilizing all those different technologies because that's how I used to prep for tournaments um, before your forward facing sonar, but before Navionics and uh, Lake Master was much of a thing at all, you know, you had Lake Maps, you had Google Earth, and that was about it, you know? Yeah. And we fished, you know, I, I looked for contour lines and I looked for banks, stretches of banks. You know, I'll go to bank B next if bank A doesn't work out. And yeah. that's essentially what you were doing, but just like vehicle based. Yeah. That's Yeah, and it was honestly... Um, it seems easy and it would have been much easier if I actually had a truck, but I am actually car topping my hobby on a Nissan Altima. Holy so it shit. is a process to load and unload. Uh, Cause I can't carry any stuff like on the kayak. Like if I had a truck, I literally would probably would just put my kayak still loaded up into the bed and drive. Um, but with the car, I have to take everything off of it and load it back in. And I even sleep by the thing. Sometimes I call it the Nissan suites. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a grind in itself of just sleeping in a car especially when you're loaded down and can't even put your seat back to try to sleep. Oh God. Uh, yeah. But it, it was all worth it. All worth it. I mean, I've learned my lesson in trying to take that thing off roading and I'm just in dire need of a truck and that $10,000 check is a nice step in the right direction. That is a good. <laughs> well, with inflation, uh, trucks are like $300,000 now. So yeah. good luck, man. Good it's luck. a baby step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you win, you know, four more, you could get a decently used Toyota Tundra with 150,000 miles. You get right. a couple, get a, you know, get Sell four. Yeah, dude, seriously. What would you, you know, if you could get a rig right now that was, you know, not like a dream rig, nothing crazy, what would you go for? Uh, you're talking about vehicle-wise? Yep. Probably Tacoma. Yeah. Yeah. Josh has a Tundra he can sell you. Yeah, I've got a Tundra I can say. It's got 220,000 miles on it, baby. Well, I mean, at least a Tacoma gets to like 16 miles to the gallon, not six. So I probably won't go the Tundra. Hey, I get a modest 13 and a half, my friend. <laughs> so, you know. That's the best I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's especially when your, you know, catalytic converters have been stolen by the heathens that creep around the ramp by my house. And oh, you God. just want to go night fishing, dude. That's all you want to do. You just, you want to go out and have a nice night, night fishing. You come back and. Half the in, you know, half the exhaust system of your truck is missing. No big deal. Just, you know, <laughs> Gotta love money. people, right? So, Bailey, when did you start kayak fishing? I started it. It was. I've been fishing since I was probably four or five years old. Uh, like really fishing. I don't remember my first bass. I was too young. But actually, getting to the kayak stuff was when my dad sold our boat. I was probably twelve or thirteen, and he bought. Uh, the first kayak I owned, really, my dad bought it and owned it. it was a It was an inflatable two person kayak. So nice. picture that. And my dad was a big guy at the time. Uh, so the two of us are going out on this local lake by us. That's like no motors. One of the cool lakes that it's like kayak only, basically. Yeah. Um, and that was like when I was probably late middle school. Uh, we used that for a couple of years. We fish like the weekends. I was home and not traveling for sports. Um, and then it was, it was when I was really bothering the ever living crap out of him to go fishing every day in the summer. And every time we were home, not at a hockey tournament or at practice, 
when he's like, okay, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get us like these. We upgraded to, I say I say upgraded, but we got Walmart Pelican kayaks for oh yeah him myself my brother, uh, and we go out every weekend on those and such. And it was till I was getting you know close to driving age, uh, he got me um, a field stream Shadowcaster, which I think it was like a nine hundred dollar kayak, but it was a stand up. You can actually you know put some you know mounts on it. You know, it was a little bit more like you can you can stand up and all that jazz. It was a little bit more advanced than a, a Pelican. Um, and once I was actually able to drive and drive it myself, I was at the lake every single day. I was at the lake at 5 a.m. before school started, uh, like that sort of thing. And uh, then I upgraded to um, I returned. I, I didn't actually buy it, but it was an exchange for favors. Uh, one of my buddies was, was selling a wilderness radar 135 and I helped him actually start building his house, uh, for that he lives in now in return for the kayak. Um, and then the past couple of years, I've been really fortunate enough to work with, uh, Morgan Marine as, and they're one of the biggest Hobie dealers Northeast and run a Hobie each season. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it kind of really, really started, uh, probably my freshman or sophomore year of high school was really when I started getting a passion for kayak fishing. So you definitely have that, um, you've got that, that nice, like dealership sponsorship type deal. And now, now you've really made a name for yourself and hopefully you, you know, you pimped Morgan Marine out a little bit while you were, you know, cashing that check winning. Um, that's gotta be like a really, you know, exciting thing for you and everybody that believes in you. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll fully call myself out here that, uh, uh, when I went to awards at Sunday, and I, I didn't check this. I checked the standings on Saturday because I knew the bite was going to be tough, and wanted just to make sure I was in contention. But I didn't want to catch more fish than I needed to because I wanted to save them for Sunday. So I checked the standings Saturday, but Sunday I didn't check them at all because one way or another, whether I'm winning or losing, it was probably going to affect me mentally, and I wanted to tune out and just catch as many fish as I possibly could. Uh, but going to awards. I had no idea if I won or not. And I, I won by, I think like four and a quarter inches, which in kayak fishing is a decent margin. And it was like, as soon as they, cause they were the, the guy commentating who, the guy who makes Hobie BOS run AJ McCorder, what, and uh, the guy in second place, Ron champion, Ron knew that I won. I didn't know. And they both decided to mess with me and make me think that I lost and then quickly change on a dime and let me know that I won. So it was like a roller coaster of emotions and, from the time that you announced that I won to the live stream ended and I was shaking hands, my brain was in a fog. I don't remember anything I said. And so I went and reviewed the Facebook live and I was like, Oh my God, my speech was horrible. Like I think like two sponsors forgot to say in the Morgan Marine. And like, I felt so bad, but people were like, dude, everyone does this. You're fine. Uh, in terms of like just being in a fog when you have a big win like that, but uh, I'm going there Friday actually to go take doing a whole do a little photo shoot with Morgan Marine um, and shake their hands and hang out with them. And they, they've just been absolutely amazing to me the past couple of years. Their team has been incredible. Anything, any needs. And it's not just me. Like, obviously I'm on their, their, their pro staff. They help me out with anything I need, but just an average customer they do. They will go the same lengths for. So it's, it's a really cool team. Uh, and they show me a lot of loyalty. Uh, and, you know, hopefully the next time I'm, I'm up on stage, I'll, re I'll remember everybody's name next time. <laughs> it's tough that, you know, that, that winning, you know, once you realize it, you, 
especially dude I, I can't even imagine in a tournament like uh based off like tourney x format or something where you have to check a phone and see what the standings are and then you find out that you won like you're not necessarily prepared for that you know because as fishermen like you're super superstitious and you oh, know yeah. no guy goes to the ramp like i won nobody does that you know unless you you know average 12 pounds a week and you've got a 22 pound sack you're not you're not going, you're not going to the ramp going, yeah, I won this. Yeah, we got this. You're like, you're like, well, maybe, you know, I want to keep, you know, I don't want to be too arrogant and, and psych myself out, you know, cause it's just, it's such a weird thing going into that just blindsided and then boom, yeah. you won. So, so yeah, I get it. Bailey, in the terms of college football, regular Ooh. season win to like national championship win, where would you rate this win? This, uh, this, this this win was a a week one, week one of the season win. And why is that? That's because I have a lot to prove. It's only my second tournament with them, and like I was telling you guys, consistency is way more impressive than a one off win. So I think this is a great starting point to get my name out there. But I know that that's only the beginning of it. I can't like be content with it. I have if I want to really make a name for myself in this sport, I need to, to keep up that success. What you know, whether it's more wins or getting back up in that top ten. Uh, I know it's going to take a lot more and nothing is nothing will be be close to the college national championship until the tournament of champions that uh, with this win I qualify for. It's the top 50, only the top 50 in the entire trail uh, make that championship. And it'll be down in Cattle Lake, Louisiana in November. Um, it, it's extremely hard to qualify for because and that's why so many people go after the OS series. They actually cap their events at 200, no more than 200. And they sell out in under 10 minutes for most of their events. It's it's insanely de- like on demand. Um, basically, what it is is each event, the top three qualify, leaving. So that being said, it only leaves uh, the top twenty in angler of the year standings to qualify for it. So that out of most events having two hundred anglers becomes a very hard field to qualify for. And that was my biggest goal this year. So having already done that, I want to go after AOI. But it just says a lot for folks that qualify for that tournament of champions, what kind of angler they are. to Because you have to be either everything. You get super lucky, which that's what I'll say in my case. I probably just got super lucky. But it just you have to really earn your spot for that event. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So with this, you know, let's say down the road you just tear up the Hobie BOS League. What's the, you know, what's the future for Bailey? You know, are do you want to fish bigger? Like, I don't know if there are bigger leagues in kayak fishing. You know, do you want to see how good you can do here? And if there's another league, go into that league. Or let's say you make, you know, let's just say you make enough money to get that Phoenix boat you were talking about. You know, do you ever see yourself fishing, you know, boat tournaments? How does that how does that work for you? Yeah, so it's kind of a, it's a very interesting dynamic actually because I have a huge passion for the kayak stuff. I have a huge passion for the boat stuff. Like I was telling you guys earlier, like I love it all. But my thing is, I don't ever want to be a professional angler from a standpoint of like I don't want to be in the elites. I don't want to do the BPT. I don't want to fish the Bassmaster Opens. I mean, I might fish them to try to make the classic, just to say I did it. But uh, I mean, that is like years down the road, and I have a lot to do before then. And that's really not where my sights are set. You know, that's just kind of like one thing where you think about it. Like, oh, that'd be pretty cool. But, you know, just kind of like an unrealistic goal. Uh, because really for me, you know, Hobie, Hobie BOS is the epitome of kayak fishing competition. That's where the best in the country compete. You know, the people that 
I was very fortunate enough to be up on stage with and like look out into the crowd and see who compete in that event. They are the best of the best. They're absolute freaking hammers. Um, so I was very fortunate to be up there and, and it was very humbling. Um, but for me, it's, it's more of just, I found a lot of success, uh, success so far in New York and my local trails. I find, you know, winning events, being consistent with it. And this year was more of wanted to see how I scaled up against the nation's best. And I want to prove that I want to do it and see, you know, obviously we have a win, but I want to see how the rest of the season goes and see how I really can be consistent over these events and just kind of see where that goes and keep fishing the whole BOS series. That's really where I'm at right now. I want to keep, you know, I've got a regular season trophy, but now I want an AOI and I want a TOC win. Um, so it's really one I'm going to go really hard in the Hobie BOS series. I really don't have any, you know, sights beyond that at right now. Cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I wish you the best of luck. You're my favorite Hobie BOS fisherman. So. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. You know, I'll have to follow... uh, the Knee Deep podcast. Yeah. Favorite Hobie uh, fisherman, too. Yeah. Maybe we'll start a fantasy fishing league for the Hobie BOS. They have and... one, actually. Well, the see, Knee Deep podcast doesn't have. I was, we don't. Have I was actually deep. very surprised to see how many people uh, picked me on their fantasy team for this event when I'm like the dumb New Yorker coming down to Alabama. I don't know why they picked me, but I was like saying that. I was like saying that my on my live stream last night. I was like, yeah, it's so cool. Like people are messaging me saying they picked me for fantasy, and then this guy in the stream goes, "We picked you because you were cheap." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And that makes <laughs> <more sense. laughs> yeah, there's a there's a good amount of winnings coming back to me if I put this yeah. two bucks on this guy. So. That's what we're going to do here. My wife will kill me if she found out I spent 20 bucks on a different fisherman. (laughs) All right, Bailey, my last question for you, um, and we appreciate you joining us. We really do. Uh, Champion, that's the first time we've had a champion. Actually, no, we had a painting competition champion on here. Yep. So this is the second time we've had a champion. I I don't know, man. They might just say that this podcast is the podcast of champions. Just saying. I will. Um, anyway, Bailey, I, I'm curious, you had mentioned earlier, uh, you didn't want to catch a whole lot of fish on Saturday because you wanted to leave some biting for Sunday. So as, from a champion's mindset, like, how does that, how does that work for you? Because I, I would have a really hard time with that. Cause you know, I could come back Sunday and not catch anything. And then I'm going to, you know, be mad at myself and beat myself up for not catching everything I could catch on Saturday. So how, how does that work? Yeah, it was really one where I think it was just a it was a strategy decision because from the people that I talk to that I actually trust, you know, trust their word and what they say about their practice. And from my personal practice, being at the majority of the lake, I found it so hard to get bites and find anything, anything close to consistent. The fact that I had gotten a couple of quick bites in that area and practice that led me to the decision to go fish there Saturday. And what I did was. Because of that, I wanted to make sure that I was getting what I needed. And then I would basically see where it placed me, right? I wanted to see where I would contend once I got a limit. Um, and then kind of got a like, because on day one, was really got a, I got the full feel of the place and got to really explore it, you know, to its entirety, make one full rotation around the area um, and kind of see how, actually how many fish were in the area. Um, and what I did is I made one rotation and that was, you know, I was sitting in first place and I was kind of thinking to myself, was like, I don't know how many fish are actually here. And it's a shad spawn deal. My bite's done until 10 a.m. You know, that's when it really shuts off. I want to just take my chances here, not beat up any more fish. Cause last thing I need is have a really good day today and have zero fish tomorrow, being that it's been so hard just to get a bite this week. So what I did is I just left. 
I left the area completely, went and fished new water for the rest of the day. And I kept monitoring standing just to make sure I was still in contention. You know, by the end of the day, I was in, I was tied for second. And that had me feeling really good because I left multiple fish that I just saw leaving the place. I saw them and just didn't even fish for them. I just, I left them for Sunday and I was glad I did because where I saw them basically was where they were Sunday morning and put my bag. I had on my entire bag on Sunday in the first hour and there's a lot of fish there, but it was one of the things that's like a, a fish management deal where you can catch all of them in the first day and have a really great day. But then it's like, you're screwing yourself for multi-day events. It's just more of a strategy standpoint from, for the long game versus just, you know, the short term having a really good one day, if that makes any sense. But how if it you know, was a one day tournament, I would have blasted them all day. Right. It's just because it was a multi-day and I wanted to make sure I was having enough fish over the course of two days. But how do you know that they're going to be there on Sunday? Because with weather changes and temperature fluctuations and things like that, like there's no guarantee those fish will be there Sunday. Yeah, no, there wasn't. But the the thing for me was because there's a couple of factors. And one part of me was a little bit scared because with the massive storms, it rose the water levels. And I knew that because the tournament was about a week, out, uh, like almost a week out from those storms that the water would start receding. So actually what I did in practice, I didn't, I didn't use a graph or anything Saturday and Sunday. I actually left it in the car. What I did in that area on Friday was I used my Hummingbird auto chart chip, which actually it's a, it's a chip that creates a custom map based on your sonar readings. And I went and I graphed all those hyacinth mats that I was fishing to see if there's one that was deeper because I knew if that water started to recede, that's where all of those fish would congregate to. And that was the winning mat on Sunday was that deeper mat that I found that was different from the rest of them. And it was closer to the mouth of that river, meaning that's where fish would conjoin. As that water falls, those fish feel it and they will start to drop back. And that mat was a perfect stopping point for them to drop back and congregate. And that's why all my bites were in like a 50-yard stretch. It's because they were all conjoined in that section as the water was starting to fall on Sunday. I like that. That, It's a lot of restraint, man. And um, I can't imagine the night before that. You know, you come off. You come off the lake, you're tied for second. So it's you in between two other guys. And now you got to sleep. Mm-hmm. And you know what you got to do tomorrow. But first, you got to sleep. Yeah. And that's got to Honestly, be. actually, I, even though I slept in the Nissan suites at the, yeah. uh, at the boat ramp, I actually slept pretty dang good. Um, I felt really good about it because so far I was making good decisions and I executed well. I mean, I, I dumped one fish that would have helped me that day. But even with that and sitting tied for a second, I still felt really good about it. Uh, and what I had seen that day, I didn't have worries. Like I, I, there's, you know, as tournament anglers, you have that weird feeling like it's in your gut, like when you know things are going to go good. I didn't know how good, but I knew that I wasn't afraid of a limit. And I knew if I had a limit, I would at least top 10. And that would need that would be great AOI points going forward, forward for the TOC. But I looked at the top 10 that night when I was sitting in the car and the entire top 10 basically except for me had a 20 plus inch fish, which is a really, really good fish. Uh, the biggest I had was a 19. And I knew that if I could get a limit and have one of those big bites show up, that I'd be sitting really good and maybe have a chance to win if I had a 20 plus inch bite. Um, and when I day two started, I had three 13 inches like squeakers in like the first 10 minutes, but they're, they're limit fillers. And after that caught like a, I think a 15 and then I caught an, uh, an 18. No, sorry. I had those three 13 inches caught an 18 which is about a three and a half, four pounder. And I was like, okay, that's a great fish to have in this bag to like, at least try to keep me in the top three to qualify for TSE automatic qualify. Caught a 15 to fill out the limit. 
And I was like, okay, this top 10 sealed right there with that limit. It was until like literally five minutes down that stretch, you know, taking my time, making sure my, my spinner baits flush with that highest and that, that I hooked into a six and a half pounder is a 21 and three quarters. And it was like, I, that's when I went full blown, like lost my mind, like fist pump in the air yeah. type of deal. Because I knew I was like, I, and I looked at the camera and I even said it and I said, that could be a $10,000 fish right there. And that's when I knew I had a shot. As long as people didn't absolutely smoke them, I had a real shot, especially because, you know, another 30 minutes later, I called twice more getting rid of all those 13 inches I had. And I knew I had a shot, but I wasn't going to let myself slow down. I wanted to keep the mindset of I'm still in second place. I still got to catch them. You know, don't let off you know on the gas. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, it seemed, it, it seemed to work out, but it literally had the thing one, you know, now that I won, I had it one in the first hour. Nice. That's yeah. good. That's, that's a good feeling. Especially yeah, it was. when just you're magic. able to just put the hammer down on Sunday, you know, yeah. Saturday you find them, you're like, Oh boy, they're mm-hmm. going to be here. You know, there's a good chance they'll be here tomorrow. Knowing that those fish would be there tomorrow is huge because like Jason asked, I mean, th- nothing's guaranteed. You don't no. know what's going to happen. You, it, they're fish. You know, it's like you said, it's not like any other sport, you know, where it's, you know, just 100% skill based. There's mm-hmm. a lot of luck involved and there's a lot of hoping involved. Mm-hmm. And it, it's good that those fish just stayed there for you. I mean, those yeah. were your fish to be caught, dude, and you did it. Yeah. Congratulations, was... champ. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got. I got nothing else. Bailey, we talked for a, a quick second about uh, the uh, Serious Angler podcast. I was just curious if you would like to plug that in here. Uh, maybe tell our listeners where they can find you guys and what you guys are all about. Yeah, so uh, if you just look up Serious Angler, whether it's on your you know, your favorite MP3 podcast platform, if you are if you like to listen to, listen to podcasts, you can find us. Uh, but then also on YouTube, just look up Serious Angler Bass Fishing, and you'll find us where we do – Basically, a lot of just uh, very, you know, specific technique, bass behavioral learnings where we try to get anglers on that. We can talk about specific topics, specific bait, time of year, you know, tournaments. We do some fancy fishing stuff for fun, um, but it's basically just kind of deal that's dedicated towards everything bass fishing and learning as much about bass as we can just to make ourselves better anglers. Um, that's really what it's all about. And you can find us on all, basically all social media platforms, too. Uh, and I will also selflessly plug that if people want to watch how Lakey Follow went down, I have my own personal YouTube channel that I just started to, because YouTube is stupid and uh, their algorithms are dumb and I can't, the, oh God. Yeah. So basically the Serious Angler Bass Fishing YouTube channel is strictly podcasts. I started a personal channel for all of my tournaments, personal fishing endeavors, but I have a series called Chasing Hardware, which was dedicated to ch- chasing this thing this year. Uh, it's going to be kind of interesting to, to to edit this now that it's happened in episode three and four when I thought it would take a couple of years. Um, but it's basically you can see how it all goes down on my YouTube channel called Be The Fish, uh, capital B-E, The Fish. And it's uh, I'm excited to edit those episodes. But you'll see every catch through practice, you know, being in a thunderstorm in a dang tent in the south, you know, the whole nine yards, you'll see it all. So that's uh, what people can watch. And yeah, that's about it. Cool. Well, Bailey, we'll thanks for joining us, buddy. We appreciate yes, you jumping on here. Yes, sir. And we'll yeah, plug your socials, right, guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Bailey, for joining us. Uh, be sure to follow Bailey. I mean, 
dude, I, I don't know much about the kayak fishing world, but it sounds like you're on the right path. Um, it's, it's growing. It was actually something before we get, you know, we go here. It was really cool to see one, just a support system that I didn't realize I had, but two, how many of those big boat guys like elites and BPT guys are truly paying attention to this stuff from the messages and calls that I received. It's really cool to see where the sport's going. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. That's really good. Well, and Bailey, we're rooting for you, buddy. Yep. Appreciate you it. are our favorite Hobie kayak BLS. bass angler. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. Thanks, boys. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, like and subscribe. Yeah. Like what do they need to do, Josh? What do they need to do? They need to leave. They a need review. to rate and they, they need, need to review. Rate. Okay. There you go. And then they need to share it with a friend. And then they need to go follow Bailey on his socials and they need to follow the serious angler. Podcast. It's a lot of work you guys got to do. A lot of work. But <laughs> lot of we work. love you guys. Love Have you a guys. great weekend. Have a good weekend. See you, Bailey. See you, Jason. See you, boys. Thank you.